Hey, good morning, everybody. Great to have you guys with us today, and I have to follow up on Mike's announcement. I am so excited that David is joining the team as our full-time worship minister, and this is a huge answer to prayer. It's been great to work with David over the last couple months in this interim period, and I have seen that he is a committed follower of Jesus. He, he really has a heart for people. He is very talented in both music and tech. He's also a pretty good filmmaker. We'll see that here in a few minutes. But it's just a, a great blessing to have David and Stacy with us at Plum Creek, and I thank God for them. Well, we are in the second week of our sermon series called Legacy, and in this series, we're asking questions like this. What kind of legacy are we passing down to the next generation? What will we leave behind after we're gone? And we want to be intentional about this. We, we want to ask God to use us to make a positive difference in this world, even after we're gone. So last week, uh, we saw several important principles. We learned that number one, no one leaves a great legacy by accident. Number two, the life you live builds a stronger legacy than the words you speak. Number three, you don't have to be a superstar to leave a great legacy. And number four, the greatest legacy points others to Jesus. Now this morning, I want to zero in on principle number four. Because you don't have to be a Christian to agree with those first three. Those are pretty general principles. But a lot of people would take exception to number four. Some people might say, well, yeah, it's fine for you to believe in Jesus, but you could actually do a lot more good by curing cancer or ending poverty or saving the whales. I got nothing against whales, and there are lots of different opinions out there about what defines a great legacy. But today, we have a very ambitious goal. We want to move past opinions and get to the truth. So we're going to focus on principle number four, the greatest legacy points others to Jesus. So is that statement objectively true, or is it just kind of personal opinion? Well, here's the bottom line. That statement will rise or fall on the identity of Jesus, who he really is. So who did Jesus say he is? If he is who he said he is, this principle is absolutely true. Uh, look at John 14, verse 6. Right here, Jesus makes a bold declaration. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, a lot of people in this world have a positive opinion of Jesus, uh, even, even many who aren't Christians. But this right here, this is not a popular statement. And you can see why, right? A lot of people have a problem with the word the. I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm not just one way to God among many paths. I am the only way to God. And I'm not just one truth among many truths. I am the truth. And I'm also the only place where you can find real life, eternal life. That only comes through me. And when you take all of those statements together, you can see that Jesus leaves no room for relativism, right? You know what I mean by that word, 
relativism is this idea that you can basically choose any version of the truth that works for you because all points of view are equally valid. There's no single belief system that's universally true for all people in all places in all times. In the world we live in today, relativism is super popular. But Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. I am the truth, the only way. Now, like I said, we have this ambitious goal today. We want to answer a very big question. What is truth? And if we want to leave a great legacy, we have to know the answer to this question. So how do we tackle this? Well, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to go back in time. I want to go back to a moment where there was a certain man who was surrounded by different versions of the truth, and he had to make a big decision. What was he going to believe? You probably have heard of the guy that I'm talking about. His name was Pontius Pilate. He was the Roman governor in Judea at the time of Jesus. And, and Pilate is probably best known as, as the man who put Jesus on trial and condemned him to be crucified. And today we're going to focus on one little part of that trial. So we'll pick up the story in John chapter 18. We'll start with verse 28. So read along with me, John 18, 28. It says, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas, to the palace of the Roman governor. Now, I want to pause right here because I want to help you get the picture of what's happening. So, we'll take a little tour. First, I want you to imagine that Pontius Pilate is standing right here. He's got his toga on and he's looking good. So, remember, he's right here. And then over to my left, your right, you got a group of Jewish religious leaders. These are the men who really want Jesus dead. And in John 18, 28, it's, it's morning. It's the morning after Jesus was arrested. And literally, all night long, Jesus has been questioned and accused by these religious leaders. And Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest, has decided that Jesus is guilty of blasphemy against God. And under Jewish law, the penalty for blasphemy is death. But these religious leaders have a problem The problem is they don't have the authority to execute anyone because the Romans have not given them that authority. And that's why they take Jesus to our boy Pilate. Pilate happens to be the Roman governor. And now I'm going to step over to the opposite side. Right here, I want you to imagine this is Pilate's palace. Really nice, really fancy. And so the religious leaders take Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace where he's held prisoner. And Pilate's in the middle. Jewish leaders on one side, Jesus on the other. And now we're ready to read again. We'll go back to verse 28, and this time we'll keep reading. Here we go. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. And by now it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. Now you may know that Passover is a major holiday for the Jews, and no good Jew would want to miss it. And the problem is, if a Jew entered a Gentile home or a Gentile business, they're going to be unclean for seven days. There's no way these guys are going to go into this palace. So let's keep reading. 
So Pilate came out to them and he asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves, judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. So what's happening here? Well, the Jewish leaders are giving Pilate their version of the truth. They're like, listen, Jesus is a dangerous rebel. He deserves to die. But Pilate is like, what are, what are you talking about? What, what has he done? Be specific. But the Jews don't want to get specific because under Roman law, Jesus hasn't done anything that deserves the death penalty. Unfortunately for Pilate, though, these leaders are very pers persistent, so he's got to do something. And his next step is to go talk to Jesus. And that takes us to verse 33. Pilate went back inside the palace, and he summoned Jesus, and he asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus asked, Is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Now, I guarantee you, Pilate did not expect to hear Jesus talk like this. Because there had been lots of Jewish revolutionaries that came before, but their goal was always to kick the Romans out and set up an earthly kingdom. But Jesus says that's exactly what he does not want to do. At the same time, though, he, he doesn't deny that he's a king. And then he starts making these grandiose statements. My kingdom is not of this world. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So Jesus has taken Pilate down a notch. He's like, you have no idea who you're dealing with. But at the same time, Jesus doesn't treat Pilate like an enemy. He actually kind of gives Pilate an opportunity. It's like Jesus is inviting Pilate to get on the right side of the truth. But how does Pilate respond? Well, look at verse 38. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. It's the same question we're asking today, isn't it? And what do you think was in Pilate's mind when he asked this question? Was he just being sarcastic? Was he stressed out by this whole situation? Or did he sincerely want an answer? Well, as we keep reading, we see, no, Pilate is not interested in hearing an answer. Let's finish this passage. Back to verse 38. What is truth? retorted Pilate. And with this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there, and he said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. So it's pretty clear, isn't it? Pilate did not stop to consider the truth because he's got to go back outside and deal with these people. 
Now, the other gospel books give us more of the story. We learn in the gospel of Matthew that these Jewish leaders had been busy. They had been working the crowd. They convinced the common people to say, Jesus needs to die. They convinced the common people to demand his execution and and let this Barabbas go free. So now let's think about the dilemma that Pilate is in here. It's not just those religious leaders. He's got this crowd, this mob in front of him. And then he's still got Jesus on the other side in the palace. But then there's one more group that we haven't mentioned yet. Way in the background, 1,400 miles away, there's an emperor named Tiberius. This emperor is sitting in a different palace, and he is the leader of the Roman Empire. And the Romans also have their version of the truth. Their truth is pretty simple. Pilate, you better not mess this up. Don't get caught up in these silly religious arguments. You do what you have to do to keep the peace, or we can find a new governor of Judea. So you kind of feel for Pilate a little bit, don't you? He's got the crowd. He's got the religious leaders. He's got the Romans. He's got Jesus. They all have their own agenda. They all have their version of the truth. So how do you sort this out? What is truth? That can be a really difficult question to answer. I mean, for me personally, I struggle with this all the time, especially as a parent with kids in the home. I can go to my kids and say, hey, who left this snack bowl sitting on the floor in the living room? And child one says, wasn't me. Child two says, wasn't me either. Child three, I didn't do it. Got three versions of the truth. One of them has to be false. So how do you get to the bottom of it? Do you launch a big investigation? Do you just punish all three kids? Or do you throw up your hands and say, what is truth? And then go over and pick up the bowl yourself and take it to the kitchen. So I think we can all relate to Pilate a little bit here. There are lots of reasons why we may not want to stop and consider the truth. I'll give you three possible reasons. First, somebody might say, listen, I don't have time to think about what's really true. I'm just over here trying to survive in this world. And I think Pilate could have said that. Second, uh, somebody could say, you know, I don't have the energy to figure out what's true and what's false. I'm just tired. I think Pilate could have said that, too. Here's a third possible reason. Somebody could say, honestly, I don't even have the desire to search out the truth. Because you see, I want my life to be a certain way. And for that to happen, I need certain things to be true. And I'm not even going to consider anything that's different than what I want. You know, Pilate could have said this, too. Because maybe he had big dreams, big goals, big ambitions for his career. Maybe he wanted to climb the Roman ladder of power. And if that was true, it wouldn't be advantageous to choose Jesus over the crowd, the religious leaders, and the Romans. In the end, I I think Pilate is very relatable because we all encounter situations where, man, the truth feels complicated, and we just want to say, I'm tired. I don't have the energy. I don't have the time, and maybe I don't even have the desire to slow down and think through some complicated issue. But listen, when it comes to Jesus, we don't have the luxury to set this question aside. It's too important. 
we got to deal with this. Who is Jesus? Is he the way, the truth, and the life? Or was he just an inspiring teacher with a Messiah complex? If Jesus is who he said he is, this is the most important question in the world. If not, though, this question is irrelevant. You can just pick your favorite version of the truth and believe whatever you want. But as you decide how to answer this question, there's something you should know. Absolute truth does exist. Relativism is not reality. One plus one equals two. That's always the case. Now, you can sincerely believe that one plus one equals 224, but that doesn't change the reality. It's always two. Or here's another example. A a relativist might say, hey, I'm glad the law of gravity works for you. I'm happy for you. It just doesn't apply to me. Now, that relativist, if they try to jump off a cliff and, and fly away, he or she will find out pretty quick there's only one truth there, and he or she did not choose wisely. And when it comes to Jesus, there's only one correct version of who he is. And even if the entire world got together and decided that the truth was false, it wouldn't change a thing. The truth is still true. So every single one of us has a decision to make here. Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Or do you believe that he's not the way, the truth, and the life? Whatever you happen to believe this morning, I want to give you a word of encouragement. First, I want to speak to anyone who does not believe that Jesus is the truth, or maybe you haven't made up your mind yet. Unfortunately, my time is limited here, and I can't go through a detailed defense of Jesus right now, but I can tell you that personally, I believe he is exactly who he said he is. I am basing my whole life and my whole eternity on this truth. And I have to tell you, this conviction, it didn't come without a fight. I wrestled with doubt for a while, but I want to make you an offer. If you're struggling to believe right now, struggling with what to believe or why to believe, could could you just let us know? We'd love to help you with that. We do whatever it takes to help you find the truth. Just reach out to me or one of the other ministers and we can go from there. But like I said, you can't just kick this question down the road. That's what Pilate tried to do, right? When Jesus said, everyone on the side of the truth listens to me, what did Pilate do? He said, ah, what is truth? How can anybody know that? And then he went on to try to take care of business. This is so sad. Because Pilate was right there in front of Jesus, right there in front of the truth himself, and he missed it. It's so tragic because Pilate had this deep longing in his soul, a longing for Jesus. And it's the same way for all of us. Every skeptic walking around today, every person who's disillusioned with the church, Every human being on this planet, we all have a longing for Jesus. We long for the love and the forgiveness and the hope that only comes from Him. But just like Pilate, many people today, they're they're not ready to see who Jesus is. 
If you're wrong on this issue, there are eternal consequences. It's utterly devastating because what did Jesus say? No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through Him. Jesus went to the cross and He made it possible for you to be with God. That's where you're meant to be. That's what He wants for you. He wants you to be with Him for all eternity, worshiping Him. That's why you exist. Jesus made that possible. And with His death, He paid the penalty for your sins. And if you give your life to Him, you have freedom. You're free from the guilt of sin. You're free from the power of death. This is true freedom. And Jesus promised this freedom. John 8, 31 and 32. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's a great promise. But there's also a great invitation that God has given. Over in Jeremiah 29, 13, God said, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So two things there. There's this great invitation and there's this great promise. And if you're someone who's searching for the truth and maybe you haven't uh, made up your mind yet, I want to give you this challenge I want to challenge you to seek the truth with all your heart, and then you'll find that the truth will set you free. It may not be convenient to stop and consider this, but please don't put this off. Nothing in life is more important than this. I also have a word for everyone who does believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In this sermon series, we're, we're thinking about the legacy that will pass down to the next generation. And yes, there are plenty of good things that you can leave behind, but there's only one best thing. And I'll say it again. The greatest legacy points others to Jesus. Or to put it another way, to leave the greatest possible legacy, we need to know the truth and help others come to know the truth. It's not just about finding a life-changing relationship with Jesus for yourself. It's also about leading others to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. This is the task that God has given us. And the task is not just for ministers or church leaders. God calls every follower of Christ to help lead others to the truth, to make disciples who make more disciples. And I realize for many of us, this task is intimidating. Because when you encounter someone who doesn't believe that Jesus is the truth, how do you change their mind? How do you help them see Jesus for who he really is? How do you help others come to know the truth? Many of us don't feel equipped for that task. Well, if that's where you are today, I want to encourage you too. Because first of all, this task is not on your shoulders. You can't make someone change their mind about Jesus. This is something that God does through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts a person of their need for Christ, and if that person is willing to listen to the Spirit, their eyes will be opened to the truth. So this is God's territory, and because of that, our first step is to go to God and pray for people who need Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, he prays this amazing prayer. Uh, check this out. Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened 
in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for all of us who believe. Now, in this case, Paul is praying specifically for Christians. He's praying that they would appreciate the hope that they have already found in Jesus. But this prayer is also very appropriate for anyone who is still outside of Christ. So, church, let's do this. Think about someone you know who needs Jesus and pray for that person. Pray that God would open the eyes of their heart. So that's that's where we start. But there's another important way we can help others know the truth. We can represent Jesus well. And this is another place where we can feel intimidated because we know that we're not perfect. None of us reach the standard that Jesus set. And I'm so thankful that God is willing to show us grace when we fail. From the outside, though, many people are are very cynical about the church today, and there's good reason for that. But you know what? I don't believe that the world expects Christians to be perfect. Because it's common knowledge that nobody is perfect. However, I do believe that the world expects Christians to live with integrity. And integrity means you just don't live a double life. You are who you are wherever you are. So on one hand, it's okay to admit you're not perfect. It's okay to admit your weakness and your failures. But on the other hand, the world does need to see that you have a genuine love for God and a genuine love for others. That's one of the things I love about the kingdom challenges that are happening right now. Uh, Many of these challenges are an opportunity to show the love of Christ in a tangible way. A few days ago, I I asked people to share how some of these challenges are going, and I got a a, a really cool email. Uh, This is from someone who accepted the challenge to uh, raise a little money, go to a restaurant, and then leave your server an extravagant tip. So listen to what this person said. They said, We prepared $200 in an envelope with a greeting card of encouragement and prayer. Then we selected a server at O'Charlie's, whom we had gotten to know pretty well over the years on a first-name basis. She works very hard. We gave her the envelope at the end of our meal. We then asked her if we could pray for her and if she had a particular prayer request. And she asked that we pray for her daughter, who is graduating from high school this year. And she said... The world needs more people like you. That is such a great quote. Because when people encounter a follower of Jesus, this is exactly what we want them to say. The world needs more people like you. We don't need to be perfect, but we do need to have a genuine love for others. So I'll give you one last suggestion today. There are lots of ways to help lead people to the truth, but we'll end with this one. It's a great thing to pray. That's where we start. And it's a great thing to represent Jesus well. But at some point, we have to speak up. We have to invite people to know Jesus. God gives us opportunities to do this all the time. There are opportunities all around us, but we don't always see them. And when we do see them, we don't always speak up. So this is another place where you can start with prayer. You can say, God, Give me one person to share your love with today. And in my experience, when you pray that prayer, God is more than happy to answer it. 
And when he does answer that prayer, be ready. I want to let you know about uh, an amazing opportunity that's coming here very soon. Uh, the Christmas season is almost here. And we know that Christmas is one of those times when uh, people are more willing to visit a church. So we have a special Sunday that's coming up soon, and this will be the perfect time to invite someone to come hear the truth about Jesus. And on December 4th, three weeks from today, uh, we're kicking off a sermon series called Joy to the World. And we're going to share the good news that everyone longs to hear, whether they know it or not. And on this day, a lot of special things are happening. We're going to have Plum Creek kids up here singing on stage. And then we've got this live nativity. It's going to be out back uh, behind the building. Uh, we're going to have a stable, uh, Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, uh, live people, not statues. Uh, and then we're also going to have lots of different animals, including a camel. It's just going to be a fun day. And uh, David and Jimmy... They made a video this week to help us get the word out, and I want to go ahead and watch that video together. Let's, let's see this. All right, Jimmy. So remember, like, we're talking about 30 seconds, quick, simple video, yeah, no frills. Yeah, I got it. I got it. You and know, like I've been planning about, on this for a long time. Honestly, like, that's kind of what scares me a little what, bit. Listen, you just got to trust me on this. I'm the professional. You know, I've done this hundreds and hundreds of times, so. Jimmy, we already got the camera out, man. What do you? No, no. Well, see, you don't understand all the ins and outs of what it takes to be a professional when it comes to you... church films. Are you going to be like a shepherd or what? Well, you know, I've got my own take on the first century uh, wardrobe. Jimmy, you look like the Croods. Well, you know, that is a good movie. Um, but I honestly think this is really what they looked like in the first century. Like, I can see Joseph walking around in this type of fashion, can't you? I, I think it's more John the Baptist than Joseph, to be honest. You know, we just got to get ready for all this, you know? Jimmy, this is you already have a beard, man. But listen, I have to get into character! <laughs> look, this doesn't have gray in the beard. This one does. Okay. I got to look like I'm older, right? Joseph was old. I, I guess. Yeah, well, I need my staff. Okay. Is there okay. Yes. All See, right. now, guess. are you ready to get going? Uh, yeah. Okay, let's go. Hey everyone, it's Jimmy. We are so excited for our live nativity on December 4th. We want to have you and all your friends come and see some of these guys. It's going to be a blast. So come and invite the people around you. We'll see you there. Jimmy's pretty popular with animals, I think. But like I said, this is going to be a special day. This is one of those great opportunities to reach out to someone. And there's a role for all of us to play here. Every one of us can take these three steps. First, pray for someone or pray for several people. We're going to do that here in a minute. Second, live the kind of life that represents Jesus well. Not a perfect life, but let people see your love for God and your love for others. And finally, invite people to join us on December 4th. You've got a small invite card in your bulletin. 
you can take that and also pick up other cards at the table on your way out today. We've got big postcards that you could send in the mail. But uh, when you invite these people, I want to I challenge you, don't stop there. When the person actually comes on maybe December 4th, think about how you can help them, help guide them from there. Very simple idea that um, we've talked about lately, and a lot of people just aren't aware that you could do this. You could invite that person to go to the Connection Cafe after the service. Go along with them. You could invite that person to go to the Discover Lunch that's coming in January. It's okay for you to go with them, too. We'll, we'll make food for you. It's okay. And then all along the way, just have simple conversations. Like after service, you can ask, so what did you think about that? And then see where God takes it from there. Like I said, these opportunities are around us all the time, and, and this one coming up is a great one. And we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss any of these opportunities because we want to leave the best possible legacy, which is pointing others to Jesus and helping others come to know the truth. And before we're done today, I want to start with that first step, prayer. In your bulletin this morning, there is a blue sheet of paper. And you should also have a pen. If not, uh, you can get one on the table outside the doors there. And we're going to give you a few moments here. And in these moments, we can think of people we know who need Jesus. And then we're going to write down their names on that paper and pray for them. We'll, we'll go ahead and do that right now. Pray for the people that God puts on your heart. But we don't want to stop there. Uh, that's why we brought the prayer wall down front again. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for those people that God put on your heart. A couple weeks ago, uh, we had the prayer wall down and, and we invited people to share requests. And, and wow, you, you guys shared some very real things. And I appreciate that because it was such a privilege to pray along with you. But we want to do that again today. So in a few moments, the band is going to play. And while they do, just write down those names. Pray over those people. And then as, as they continue with the song, you can go ahead and bring down your blue sheet of paper and put it in that prayer wall. And again, we will pray over those names over the next couple of weeks. You can also do that after the service. But let's just be open. Let's be open to being used by God. This is his territory, but he wants to use us to help lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus, to help people come to know the truth. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we all know someone who needs you. We all know someone who hasn't yet seen Jesus for who he is. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of their hearts and I pray that you would help us to be that influence, to help them come to know the truth, that, that we would represent you well, and that we would take those steps to be involved in, in this process. So Lord, over the next few moments, just, uh, just bring those names to mind. Who is it that needs you? I pray this in Jesus' name.